Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burrows and guests. Good evening and welcome to the NZ Tech Podcast, episode 61, recorded on the 13th of March, 2012. You've got Bradley Burrows and Skip Parker and Nate Dunn. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, and a little guest in the room because we don't have Paul. I, I was talking to some of his colleagues today. And uh, saying, you know, how is he doing on holiday with no technology? He can only text from where he is, and um, apparently it's driving him mental. <laughs> now, I've, I've got a little announcement to make. Oh, yes? We're one year old. Wow. We are officially have been recording for one solid year now. Fantastic. That's craziness. Isn't that cool? I was just looking at it today, and I was like, that is amazing. We've... A lot of podcasts don't make it through episode six. They no. die and go into the desert of dead podcasts. So, yeah, congratulations. Well done. We've got a long way to beat the likes of Leo Laporte, though. Yeah, he's up to like 352,000 million. <laughs> wow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, look, we've got an action-packed show tonight. Obviously, we've got our guest, Nate, here. We're going to go through a lot of different topics. Um, let's get into it. Apple, small company. Only worth half a trillion. Um, they announced a new range of products coming out to the market. The new iPad, no extension to the name. Some updates to Apple TV and some iTunes updates as well. Have you guys managed to have a bit of a browse around? Yeah, the new Apple... St- oh, you know, um, compared to my uh, Galaxy Tab, the new Apple just looks fantastic. Like, the screen is so clear. I was, like, I was reading some of the comparisons today of, like, the, the res of the old screen to the new screen. And just looking at some of the icons, it's just absolutely stunning. But it's would so you spend nice. $1,100 to buy it to get new icons? Probably not. No. Because for me, so what are the, so the new specs, here we go, right? So, imagine, close your eyes. I'm going to take you on a journey. Now, if I was doing this at a Dell presentation or an IBM or a vendor, you'd be going, it's a hardware update. But all they've done is a better screen. Yep. A better CPU. Actually, no, let's just go back to the thing. It's actually an exceptionally better screen. So it's not just a better it's, screen. It's like a lot better. And it's probably the most revolutionary part of the product if we were to throw that word around. Okay. It's a new screen. It's a, <laughs> um, new, a big, bigger CPU, uh-huh. bigger GPU. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit thicker. Yeah. It's got LTE or 4G for the people in the US. Right. At the moment, obviously, we're not going to really be able to use that over here at this point in time. It's still got the same battery life. Yep. And it's got uh, Bluetooth version 4, which no one really knows about at the moment. Right. I can use, yeah. Yeah, all use. <laughs> so, uh, I get the screen. Yep. I struggle with everything else. It's not... It's just a PC update. It's just a hardware update. Didn't they... They did a camera upgrade as well, though. Didn't oh, they, they did. Sorry, yeah, 5 megabit. Yeah, from megabit. 3 or whatever it was. Uh, no, 0. 0.9 to 5. Oh, was it? Yeah, yes. 0.9. Yeah. So, look, I mean, and it's all good, and there's some software updates on there. I mean, and the screen, as you're right, I mean, the, the, it looks amazing. But again, if you had an iPad right now, I mean, I've got an iPad 1 in the, in the studio here now. We will have to have a look around. It's got the iOS 5.01 on there. You know, for me, I can still read the text on there fine. Would you go out and spend 11, 1200, even 1400 for the 64 gig version to get to upgrade your iPad 2? I, I wouldn't because I know they dropped the price of the iPad 2. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing is I saw an influx of people around me buying an iPad 2 on the new price. So no one raced off to buy the new iPad, whatever it's called, just the new iPad. Yeah, because it doesn't have a version anymore. Yep. Um, but I saw a lot of people race off, came back with iPad 2s on the new price. And that is a good price. It's a very compelling price. Yeah, it's good. I think I was reading a tweet today where someone was saying that the price on Trade Me is actually higher than what you could buy a brand new iPad 2 for. <laughs> right. So people are you know bidding on iPad 2s for more than what they could buy them brand new, which is just 
you know, crazy. Yeah, but people are still probably looking at what, you know, old pricing. They're not actually in the knowledge, like, you know, sort of going out to Dickie Smith's and having a bit of a browse around and going, oh, well, I can get one. What, what is the price for an iPad 2 at the moment? Uh, I thought it was around about the five to 600 mark. That's not bad, actually. That's, that's pretty good. And what's really interesting, the thing I picked up the most about this was Apple have turned around and they have dropped the numbering system behind the iPad. So the iPad now is as much of the product line as the MacBooks, MacBook Pros, the iPad, uh, the iPad, the iTouch phone, the iPhone, that sort of stuff. So there's, there's, they're really starting to just turn it into a standard product. It's no. just part of the infrastructure. But how, how do you compare that if you, you know, if you haven't got a number on it, you say, "Oh, well, I've got an iPad," but which one? Like, what's well, the same as the Mac? How do you show it? off the the newest hardware when you can't actually? No, but that's that's what they'll do. They'll just do product refreshes like they've done now, where they'll keep the previous generation in stock. Yep. they'll be cheaper, and the new one will come out, and they'll say, "Look at this thing; it's got blah 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 and blah." It's and like it'll the, iPod. Be the iPad. It'll be the, like the iPods became Gen Four, Gen Five. It became a way of distinguishing it. But I, I'll throw something else out there for you too. Why they've removed the numbers? Because they're going to, I reckon they're going to put a seven inch. I reckon they're going to put, introduce a seven inch iPad, and they want to be able to have iPad as a brand, mm. and they want to be able to go, we've got the iPad, and they're going to have blah and blah, which will be the two versions, and they're going to throw in a seven inch version rather than having to say, and I've got an iPad three or HD or whatever they were going to call it, and then have to say, I've got an iPad three HD Lite or whatever they're going to, you know, the brand <laughs> that's made up by the way. Um, but I reckon that's what that is, so they can start throwing more versions of the iPad under the name. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I mean, why not? iPad is like money-making operation for them. You, they bring out a new one, it just makes a lot of money for them. Well, they've sold out. They had limit. Apple do. The Apple do a great job. They have a hundred of these things in stock, and they sell out in inverted commas um, really quickly because they have limited stock available. But they're going to still sell fifteen, twenty million of the damn things. Yeah, pretty much. You know, pretty quickly. What did I read the other day that they have eighty percent of the market space in tablets at the moment? Yes. Unless you take in consideration the new Kindle Fire and some of the new Kindle devices, and that drops down to just above 60%, I believe. Yep. Kindle's got a huge market share at the moment. I, I think the Kindle is a incredibly surprising um, entrant to the market that's actually capturing the imagi- imaginations of people. Um, Brent's got one in his hand. I'm lifting it up right now and doing a little expose. We've got, I've bought mine in from, the, from home. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, what's really interesting is it's sending a signal to Apple that they don't solely own the market. Yeah. They need to continue to perform and bring out new products. Uh, what's really funny about your Kindle is you fired through there is there's a picture of Steve Jobs flicked past. That's a book. I read the book I on it. I know, there. but it just seemed quite ironic that yeah. you had the Steve Jobs book. D- didn't crack the glass or anything. <laughs> so, obviously, so they did the, the, the iPad. That's got a, a lot of um, Apple fanboys really hyped up. We heard some... Very uh, large statement saying it's revolutionary, it's going to change the world, it's going to knock off the PC. And we heard the other end going, it's just more of a hardware update. But they also did some updates to iTunes. So now you can get HD movies through iTunes. Yep. So they're starting to compete with some of the other markets like Zune and other services out there at the moment. And also Apple TV can now do HD as well. Yeah, that was about the only thing that was any surprise to that, wasn't it? I sort of expected, I did on my Ouija board predictions, I did say that they would do some <laughs> HD stuff there because it, it's a space where Roku, which is their main competition, has been absolutely killing. Yeah. And, and I, I've got Rokus throughout the house, I've got three of them at the moment, and it, they are just stunning for doing HD streaming. So it's good to see Apple now starting to step up the game a little bit. I like to see their pricing drop, and now they've got the HD marketplace there. Again, I'm going to have to have a play with one and see how it goes with streaming across New Zealand's Wi-Fi network, our internet connections as well. Excellent. Yeah, well, that's one one thing that we've noticed is that when you're downloading iOS updates, the 
does tend to take a little bit longer from a New Zealand standpoint, whether it's coming via China or something, I don't know, but it does tend to take a bit longer. I mean, would you guys look at getting an Apple TV 2 point, whatever they're going to call it now, for the HD streaming? No, nah, probably not. I've just got a Roku at home, and I absolutely love it. Like, the amount of content and everything that's there is just fantastic. Isn't you know? it the coolest thing ever? Oh, they're amazing. All right. I've, I was bur- I, I said I'd be good for Paul and not rant too much about Apple, so I'm going to move on now. There you go, Paul. That was my goodness for you. <laughs> All right. Now, going into rant space, um, UFB. So this is the broadband network, and there's been a bit, quite a bit of discussion going around on Twitter um, amongst the um, NZ Tech podcast team itself, because UFB team have just released their two-year mapping system, so they're going to show you where you're going out. Yep. Skip, how are you going with two years? Oh, you just were going to push those buttons, weren't you? I am. Um, it appears that my neighbour is getting UFB within two years. I am not. That's really? just how close it gets. Yeah, uh, so I did have a wee bit of a discussion email that go- went out amongst the team last week when this came through. Uh, Brad's giggling to one side. But it is, it's just, it's patchy. It's still very patchy. And when you look at it, um, you can see that they literally are going for the low-hanging fruit on this, this solution, which is fine. I mean, you've got to get some wins on the board for it, I guess. So they really are building up around some of the the critical endpoints of fibre runs uh, on the school network and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was um, I was very ranty because um, the the neighbours were getting it and I weren't. <laughs> I just thought, this is just annoying. Well, shouldn't they just be saying, well, you're going to get UFB when you see someone digging up your road and putting down fibre strands? Now, you raise a very interesting point. I wasn't going to rant, but currently at the moment on my street, I've got a, quite a few um, trucks from an organisation that repairs cables. Um, and they are trying to repair the copper run from our street because it's quite a saturated area, so it gets a lot of moisture, and the copper's just degrading and breaking all the time. Um, and they've done it so many times. But what's really ironic is while these guys are rolling up fibre on the street behind me, they're not re- replacing the damaged copper on my street with fibre, which just seems like a logical thing to do, in my mind anyway. I mean, I understand why they're not doing it. You know, it's going to be costly and that sort of stuff. But come on guys you're spending all this time trying to repair this really broken copper network okay so yours goes to your fence post i'm in a new housing area that's only eight kilometers from auckland cbd i ain't even on a two-year road map and this subdivision's only two three years old so to me it seems kind of ludicrous that we can't even it yeah i just i need to be good because i don't want to get an explicit rating on the podcast <laughs> this week <laughs> but it just seems kind of crazy i looked at the, the clusters of where they're doing the the year two stuff and it just didn't seem to make sense now nate you're in you're over in mount eden i'm just yeah mount eden so i'm on the the two year uh you thing. are yeah sweet we're all coming to live with you <laughs> but having said that i'm only you know 2k away from using the sky towers let's say central auckland i'm only 2k away from that um yeah. and in a re- reasonably affluent suburb not that i live in an amazingly massive house uh but yeah i'm on that list but yeah i you know i'm not going to be holding out until i see some guys digging up and putting trenches down um and even that you know i've had clients in the past who've had fiber you know on the wrong side of the street and the if you're on the right side of the street the fiber cost is is pretty low but thinking about the sort of old pricing models um but if you're on the wrong side of the street they've got a trench across the road and it's just ridiculously expensive so so obviously, okay. So it's great with the fibers. You know, we're ranting and raving about it, but Orcon have just come out with their fiber pricing on what it is. Yep, it is really cheap. Yeah. Have yep. you guys had a chance to have a browse of this? I mean, 
from what I can read, it's um, $75 per month. Yep. You'll get 30, mega, 30, 30 megabits down, 10, 10 megabits up with a 30 gig cap for 75 bucks. Now, they do go up to terabyte um, data caps, and that's about 169 for home users. And I'm thinking for $169 for a 30 meg down, 10 megabit up, and a terabyte, terabyte data. Ta- data, that's not bad. So if you are able to get um, fiber, definitely at the moment, Orcon's come out all guns blazing, and I think they've sent the benchmark for a lot of other ISPs. Now, there's been a lot of articles going around that actually they've really upset some of the ISP community because their pricing is ridiculously low. Mm. I'm just having a play with their meter at the moment, and if I can get a 100 meg download, 50 meg upload, um, with one gig of monthly data, it's $234 a month. How much, sorry? $234 a month. <laughs> wow. Which is incredible. A terabyte of data to your home is yeah. just mental. But you know what's going to happen? I mean, consumption will increase because we can do it. We can download stuff. So yeah. someone won't have the problem with. And, and it is. The market's going to be pushed with torrents. That's going to be the, the primary space that's going to be useful. Let's be honest. Linux well, torrents, obviously. Linux torrents, yeah, distros. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's right. But <laughs> Sorry, I was just choking there. Something just, yeah. It's going to get saturated. I mean, why not? If you pay for a terabyte of data, go for it. Well, you're going to want to use your full terabyte of data. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why pay for it if you're not going to run it right out to the I will exceed that data cap. You know that. I mean, stream. I'll be able to stream pure Blu-ray movies. It's true. It, that's what we'd be able to do. That's the sort of stuff. But look, I think it's really good that the pricing's coming out. It, I was a little bit worried that it was going to be out of out of most people's reach. To me, that's up there with your standard ISB pricing around getting um, some ins and outs there for you know for what's what you want to do in broadband. So yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, and and in terms of the patchiness of year two, I mean, to their defence, um, they've done a recent. Sorry, up- sorry. So say that again, Scott. To their defence, and I'm I'm being. I'm playing both sides of the coin here. To their defence, they have actually done an update to the previous plan. So obviously this is a changing ballpark all the time, and they're seeing places where they can do quick wins, so they'll advertise those quick wins. And I think you might probably find streets like mine may just eventually turn up on the two-year plan because they'll go, actually, it's not that hard to trench up another cabinet just up the road to do stuff. Um, But if you have a look at the patchiness, I think you'll find it's generally around commercial business spaces and school endpoints. Yeah. Well, we, look, we've got a brand new school and where my boys are going, so I'm hoping that they start look, thinking about running fiber there and they go, oh, by the way, we've got to do that. To just that do school. a swing off, off yeah. the side. Yeah, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just drag some cable over my house. Yeah, away away. you go. So I want to tell you guys about another product I've been playing around with, and I mentioned it on the show quite a few episodes, which is called the HD Home Run. Now, Nate was asking me, what is the HD Home Run? So... What it does is it takes uh, your digital television signal, or what's called DVB-T, you plug it into a small box about the same size as an Apple TV box, and it converts it to a IP signal, and it gives you two tuners. Now, what you can do is you can then present those tuners to Windows, Mac, or Linux-based devices and watch TV, and you are independent of what the other person's doing. So suddenly you've got this multi-room-based um, TV tuner device. Now, I've been using this heavily, so I actually got rid of all the TV tuner cards out of my media, various different types of media centers I've got, Linux um, and Windows-based ones, and I've got a few of these stacked up, and I've suddenly got this free view ability throughout the house now to present tuners to everyone, and it, it's an IP-based signal, to, and it's streaming HD, and this is absolutely phenomenal piece of technology that you can buy in New Zealand and I don't think many people have really gotten the, their heads around how to utilize this in a house because if you've got a home network 
and you want to be able to give one of the children's laptops uh, the ability to watch you know prime and not have to run cables through your house this is the way to do it from now on it is absolutely stunning you have to point out that Brad's house is fiber connected throughout. It's all 10 gig battles. <laughs> I wish. With wireless power and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, it, it's a really cool way to get your to start sort of streaming the media. It's been, it's been the first time I've actually seen a decent um, digital to IP-based conversion done on a very, very simple box. And it's only 299 bucks. Are they easy to set up? So they sort of just plug and play into yep. your network away you go? Yep, a little plug and play device. You, you plug it in. It's actually even got the various... Um, basic tuner software built into the device as a web portal so you just go onto your, onto your Linux device and away you go and it, I, I had it up and going in about five minutes on Linux and about two minutes on Windows Wow! I haven't done the Mac I'll, I'll do the Mac later tonight actually um, but it is a really good way so if you are wanting to get some the free view because the big thing is is that our analog network has been switched off soon Yes. So if you do want to be able to stream TV in the house and you have got digital television, this is a great way to get it out there. And it can take the aerial cable or you can plug in the satellite cable too. You can get one that does satellite as well. Right. So it'll just stream the Freeview TV that way. Nice. So Which is quite nice because you do actually have different Freeview channels available on satellite and on terrestrial. So being able to have your one device to be able to navigate through those different channels is a great idea. Yeah, it makes it really cool for going through the house. Yes, sir. Just one last question. Does it actually work directly to your console like the Sony PlayStation or your Xbox? I don't know. I'll try it. Okay. Uh, at the moment, it create it probably wouldn't because yep. it needs to create what's called a virtual tuner on the device. Right. But I'll see what I can do. I mean, with um, a lot of those, you can go through an intermediate... Well, on the Xbox, you can go through your Windows Media Center. That would work. And then on the PlayStation, it's got its own... TV tuner yep, anyway. That would work. Yep. That would absolutely work from that side. Yeah. Now, I was busy this week with Paul away. Um, I caught up with a New Zealand company called um, Transcribe Me. Tell me more about Transcribe Me. So Transcribe Me is a New Zealand-based service that takes audio files and actually obviously transcribes them into written text. But what they'll do, the way they do it, is they do it all up on a cloud-based service. So they're using Azure at the moment, and they've de- um, developed actually a Windows Phone 7 app, um, but they're basically targeting, they're going to be doing um, iPad, sorry, iPhones and Android-based devices soon. You're going to be able to record all your content. So think about where you're in a university lecturer, and you can record it, and basically what they'll do is they send that up into the cloud, and it breaks it off into chunks, and they use this hybrid version of where it, it grabs keywords and starts transcribing it, and then they actually have manual, they have people that will then fill in and just verify them and go through from there. So this hybrid approach, and they turn around like literally thousands of audio-based streams in, in days just to get, and it's basically get this written text of what's been going on. Now, and it's a New Zealand-based company that's gone out and hit the American market and the um, European market, and is doing gangbusters. But they're not going to—they're not pitching the service here in New Zealand just at the moment because obviously it's it's a bigger market over there. Yeah. But it was really good to hear what these guys have actually come up with an idea and it's it was one of the startup businesses I got forward an email from them and they've, they've gone out and grabbed a lot of the startup New Zealand business funding that's available to get this thing up and going and they're just based out of Howick at the moment Wow, that is pretty cool I mean we're actually seeing from a broadcast standpoint a drive towards closed captioning huge in the states and starting to become more important in New Zealand uh, Sky Networks I think have switched on closed captioning services recently for their channels so there's a lot of channels now starting to think, how do we get the text out of this stuff? Hmm. We've got heaps of content. How do we get that text? So, uh, you know, they're in a good space to be in at the moment. 
I suppose a nice thing too is if you've got text with audio, you know, you can then do text searching. So if you're trying to find a particular thing quite quickly, it's actually indexable rather than Correct. You know, having to listen through hours and hours of content. Now, there's another service that um, is Microsoft aren't opening this up to the public, which is kind of crazy because it's kind of a cool service, but they have a lot of stuff in their research laboratories on video, old science stuff that I think Bill Gates really enjoyed, like a lecturer. And so he's got he brought the whole collection of this guy's lectures. As you do. As you do, because he's sort of just that way inclined. As yeah, you and do. he's got spare cash. I was about to say gazillionaire. Yeah. And he's put it into the system and they've done a similar thing where they've taken the text and they've made it searchable on the text. So you can scroll to a part of the the transcription and it will play from that part. It's it's really quite oh. clever, but I mean that's this that stuff's starting to grow quite significantly now. Yeah, and to go with what Sinead said, I mean, imagine like you said, you you got the text and you be able you could be on your iPad and you could go, I want to, oh, there's the words I want to do. I want to start the audio stream from here because that's the key point I want to listen while I'm, I'm doing my bits and bobs. Click on the text away you go. Suddenly the audio stream starts and then you can pick up the lecture and keep going from there. So it's quite yeah quite a cool idea and I think it's it's nice to see that innovation that typical Kiwi sort of ingenuity going through and, and punching you know way above our weight again. So that's www.transcribe. Uh, Transcribeme.com. Transcribeme.com. Yep. So okay. for the chat room listeners out there, go over look. These guys are doing some amazing work. They've just moved into their beta phase of their software at the moment. Um, and yeah, they're, they're up and running and doing really, really well. And it was good to have a good chat and hear some sort of local development being done and, you know, the whole nine yards. It's kind of nice to see. Warm, fuzzy feelings. Warm, fuzzy feelings. I like it. So um, also going through Google Chrome. They've had a few problems in the last few weeks. <laughs> now, did you guys manage to catch up on um, where they got, now to use your word, pwned in about two hours, and then IE got done two days later in a competition, and they're still working on a few other different other browsers? Do you guys manage to have a bit of a browse around that one? Uh, mate, I, there's a lot of stuff going on around about Chrome, though, isn't there? I mean, there's, um, there's not only this hacking competition problem, but there's also some of the security issues that have outside of this that have started to raise its head um, and the pre-caching thing has been a bit of a question in the sense of uh, a lot of people are starting to see stats around Chrome that may not necessarily be true in terms of usage on their sites because Chrome's going out and pre-caching and then upping its own ranking in some of the web hit stats because it's actually theoretically going getting pages but it's not actually to, getting Yeah, pages. to speed up the experience so that yeah. when you click, you think, wow, this was amazingly fast. But, but it increases their usage share. That's what's happening. Mm. So on. It's interesting, interesting times. But tell us about the hacking one. So what it is is that um, hacking contest, obviously ones that you love. Um, these are good hackers, as they keep calling themselves. Um, Google Chrome fell to its third zero-day attack in a row at this competition and was taken down in literally, I think they said, I'm just looking at it for it now, 45 minutes. Ouch. Yeah, so it's not a good, not a good look. So what they've done is the um, the folks at Google have obviously they they go along and they watch these people own their browser, yep. and they're apparently going out to work on new updates to try and plug all these holes that were going in. Um, like I said, Internet Explorer eight got owned in about two days. Um, I don't know about nine. I think that was what the next target they were going to sort of work on nine and ten. But one of the key ones that they found in Internet Explorer eight was actually a vulnerability that had been there since IE six. Wow. Yeah, which is not good. No, that's not good. No, not good at all. Now, they haven't actually... These guys, from what I understand, they don't tend to expose this to the world until they've given it to the vendors to try and fix. Yeah. So we won't probably get too many details about actually what's going on. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that 
as Chrome's got more popular, it's sort of its vulnerabilities are sort of getting more and more exposed. I mean, Nat, you're a, you're a huge Google Chrome lover. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be good. Yeah, no, here. fair enough. No, um, as a web developer, you know, you have to design for all the the platforms, and we find. Um, at work that Chrome, if it works on Chrome, generally speaking, it'll work well on Firefox. Uh-huh. And um, yep. I, um, I probably been the one of the worst ones to, to develop on because it's yeah, it's just got so many like weird quirks that will not go across to the other um, the other browsers. But I, I find when I jump onto someone's laptop, I'll actually install Chrome. I find it fantastic, a lot faster, very very lightweight, and the fact that it just sort of magically updates itself, where you don't have like Chrome whatever version, it just sits there and works. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. But yeah, having these sort of vulnerabilities is a little bit of a worry. So hopefully, it, yeah, the fixes will be launched and it'll all be peachy. But you won't even know because it'll just magically, magically happen in the background. background. <laughs> <laughs> um, quick update: Firefox 11 has just been released. Reach for the stars. Yes, I know. <laughs> Five up to version 11 already. Actually, wow. how is Firefox doing? I've not used it for so long now. I love how you can leave Firefox on a machine running for any period of time, come back, and your machine's at its knees with no <laughs> spare memory, and it's just going, please turn this off. I, yeah, I've probably one of my big pushes from moving away from Firefox is it just loves memory. It's, a, it's, got, it's got a few leaks in it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, a few. <laughs> just a couple. A few. Yeah. Um, now, as you guys know, obviously, for me, I've, had to, I've been using Windows 8 for two weeks now, so as of my production machine for yeah. my job. And... It took me, a, I think I said last week, it took me about a day to get used to the new layout and retrain myself. I got grumpy, like Skip does. Um, <laughs> I then got excitedly happy when I actually started to click. And now the day-to-day grind of actually using it. And you know what? It's 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 good. It hasn't crashed. Um, the only problem I've ever had so far is when I have two monitors plugged in and every now and then it will revert back from extended monitor to duplicated monitor. And, the, and that's just a video driver, I think, compatibility with what I've got going on. But the Metro interface going from Metro to the traditional desktop is really fluid. It's you just going, you just flick between the Metro apps, and that just it just becomes really secondhand really quickly. It's just amazing. So this is the consumer preview, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of corporate environment, you obviously can't integrate it too heavily yet. No, no. It's it's got the full Monty. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I've got security. I've got um, hundreds of apps installed, like in non-metro based apps. I've got a couple of metro based apps at the moment. Um, yeah. I mean, it's fully managed. I've got things. You know, group policy's been locked down. The whole nine yards. So it just works. Just it. You just don't even notice the metro side of things. I thought that would really bug me, but no, it's 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 once you get into a meeting and because I've got a touch-based tablet device, not a, a laptop, I should say, and you can actually flick between and get into the mail system. It's actually really really nice, and I like having the tiles update too. I can see what's going on. I don't have to be opening folders to see what's where, and it's it's quite nice actually. It is good. It is really really good. So if you were rolling this out, say you had a, a whole, you know, a lot of administration stuff, you think they'd pick up the Metro interface quite quickly? You know, since we've been using the, the standard, you know, vanilla desktop or whatever you want to call it for so long, mm. are people going to be able to pick, pick up the Metro interface really, really quickly and not be frustrated going, why did they change so much? Change scares people. So I think there'll always be resistance no matter, even if they left it as, this, as they were, I think they'd still be freaked out, you know, because a lot of people are still on Windows XP. So you know we're we're getting trying to get people are trying to get onto Windows Seven alone. So yeah, I think there is going to be some resistance from people that are going, "Wow, this is different." Change is a bit there, but I think you know done right correctly, yeah, I think it'll be fine. 
Yeah. I think what's going to make it is that if the apps are written in the Metro interface, they won't actually know the difference because the great thing about Android and iPhones is that they're making this a lot easier for Microsoft to get into the market because people are used to using touchscreen, big icons, swipe, swipe, all that uh, sort of gestures, stuff. Yeah. yeah, all that sort of things, you know. And and then for the people that are, you know are buying, they are starting to buy Windows Phone Seven devices. The interface is even more familiar because it's exactly the same. So as long as you get good applications that are written by the likes of yourself, like web developers and HTML5 across the board that are metrified, then then yeah, I I think it'll be fine. You're looking sceptical at me, Skip. I know, just just thinking metrified and all I could think of was petrified wood. I know, I made that (laughs) word up. I thought that was quite good (laughs) at the time. It's quite a good idea. But (laughs) yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how um, how consumers take it. I mean, there's always going to be haters. Um, of of the product, but uh, for me, I look at it and go, this is the future of computing. Apple's doing it, Ubuntu's doing it, uh, Windows are doing it. They're changing to a a multi interface design. So it's touch, it's keyboard, it's gesture, it's voice, it's giving it a funny look, you know, whatever's coming along with the Kinect and stuff like that. So we're going to have to march down this path at some stage because there's no way you're going to buy Windows. 12 touch windows 12 gesture windows 12 keyboard windows 12 it just doesn't make sense so yeah right we're going to move into the news and brief skip are you prepared no okay i'm going to start with (laughs) nate then (laughs) nate go to you buddy news and brief news and brief i am um instagram soon to be coming to android i love android so what is instagram i'm not an android user instagram is massive on apple and i'm not sure about the windows um, phone platform but it's where you can pretty simple premise where you can take photos and apply sort of old style filters gotcha yep we've got that one here and they reckon they were doing a um a share float or something they reckon they're worth half a billion dollars just for taking photos so android um users have been missing out on this and looks like we're soon to get it so i can finally join all my cool apple friends oh you can sort of you know be like all the big boys exactly exactly so what else you got for us second one uh and i'm hoping i'm pronouncing it right go walla which was a proximity based location service you know i think foursquare which i have to admit a lot of people think is pretty pointless um (laughs) got taken over by facebook and facebook have shut them down and they're going to be looking at um facebook had facebook places originally and now they're looking at that when you actually make a status update that you will go, I'm, you know, wherever with Skip at this particular place. So they're actually integrating, rather than saying Facebook Place is a completely separate entity, actually having the, you know, the sort of geolocations built by, uh, right into status updates. So I'm not sure any people were using GoWalla, but um, yeah, it was an interesting update. And I, I don't think merchants are, um, well, in, especially in New Zealand, are pushing the whole, you know, specials where, where you're, you're located. So... You know, take for example, if you're looking for a place to eat, you should be able to say, "Hey, look, I'm wanting to go over to say Kingsland or wherever. You know, show me all the places I've got these updates, and I'll head across to there." And you know, I think the the acceptance of that's going to come with time. Um, and you know, we follow the states with a lot of the stuff they do, so it'll eventually get here. And it's interesting that that Facebook has decided to shut them down in exchange for incorporating into their platform. Yeah, so. It is interesting. I, I think with um, the likes of Foursquare, you still you do see a little bit of that happening in New Zealand, especially in Wellington. But in Auckland, it's happening. You've got and Giapo, um, crazy cafe called Tuihana, which is just amazing. Um, and, you know, the likes of uh, Burger Fuel offering deals for people that can be Because I think, I with, think with uh, Burger Fuel, uh, well, I know the one in Mount Eden, if you check in, 
if you're the mayor, you get a free burger um, if you check in with a friend. But if you just check in, you actually get a free bowl of Coke or something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, they're, they're, um, <clears throat> I, I think it drives people to go to places. That, it, you know, people are starting to use Foursquare. I've certainly in the last um, month had more Foursquare additions and friends in the last month than I've had for probably most of the rest of the years combined. Yeah. The one thing I wish the Foursquare app would do is I can understand why they want to, don't want to do auto-checking. Like Google Plus has got that thing, you know, you want to check in and, and it just does it for you, which is fantastic. But I, I wish Foursquare had an option in their app that would say, hey, you've been here, you've checked in before, do you want to check in again? Because I'll often find, um, especially if you're somewhere quite quickly, that you'll think, oh, checking in, but you've already left, yeah. you know? But I can yeah. see why they don't want to allow auto-checking because it will just, you know, you sort of take away the fun of, of location. Well, you also have the privacy stuff. True. And people need to have the choice. And Google's privacy at the moment has not got the best reputation in the world. Um, Struggling a little bit. I did like the feature of Facebook Places where you could actually invite friends along to an event. So you went to a location and you checked the, your friends in. So you said, I'm here with Brad Burrows and, what, and such and such. They didn't actually have to physically be there and they were automatically dragged in because you mentioned they were there. Hmm. Um, there was a setting you had to change to do that. So, you know, you could go down, say, to the local strip club and then say Brad Burroughs is here and then all of a sudden Mrs. Burroughs is going, really? I see some painful nights trying to explain where I was. No, no, seriously, where I was at work. Really? No, no. Yeah, so uh, I think that's a setting thing. But that's always the case with Facebook. You know, it's kind of like, you know what, we'll allow anyone to do anything. It's up to you to make sure you're locking it down. It's like... Okay, that's an interesting default position to be at. I like how Facebook changed the, the privacy settings where, you know, instead of someone just tagging you or saying you are somewhere, that you then have to approve it, like I've put that on. For example, you know, if, you, you know, if you're in a, a very strict corporate environment and you're having the office Christmas party, you can now not just be tagged in photos. You actually have to say, hey, I'm, I'm happy to be yeah. in these photos. Which you know I, what, I need to really go re- redo my Facebook settings, don't I? Yeah. Um, okay, mine, Mika Mobile. Now, Mika Mobile are a huge gaming developer across the US and for a lot of the online platforms. They've just decided to pull out of the Android development market. Now, Nate, I'm going to be looking for some feedback on you on this one because you're a developer, and, and that's the reason I want to know because they're saying that the cost of developing on the Android platform compared to iOS and Windows Phone 7 is about 30 to 40% more, and they're finding their lead times with so many handsets in the market is taking them too long, and quite frankly, they've had enough. The cost is too great, and with um, um, Windows Phone 7 now coming in as a, they see as a number two player, they're going to start. They're developing on that, so they've got great hits like Zombieville USA and Battle Heart, which are apparently multi-million-dollar gaming productions. But as a developer yourself, do you are you do you do much mobile development? We don't do a lot of mobile development. However, whenever we go into big projects, people are always saying, and it's always they want an iPhone app. That's the the you know the market one. They always say, oh, we we need an iPhone app. We need an iPhone app. The interesting thing about the blog post where I was reading on the Mika Mobile one was I was saying that because. Android has no, you know, this is the set hardware where Apple's got, you know, this is the hardware we use. They're having to spend so much time supporting all these just random configurations and settings that they're just sucking down all their support costs. So, and I think they've had a bit of heat on Twitter too from this. Um, they're actually, people are saying, well, you know, you're generating revenue and they're saying, well, we're actually not making any money out of it. You know, if we're, if we're making, you know, a million dollars in sales, but we're having to spend 990,000, you know, it's not a great position to be in. So, you know, I can understand from a, um, 
you know, from a pure financial point of view, it's just too hard to support them. So they're going to move to something that's more lucrative. So actually, you mentioned something I heard about today was that um, Google Wallet, um, you know, the the payment service that Google are using or developed, I should say, they charge you two point five percent for any transaction on the transaction itself. Um, some banks do between three to five percent, but Apple do thirty percent per transaction. Yeah, they clip, Apple have got the perfect business model. Like they clip, they take it left, right, and center. Yep. And the other thing too that you've got with the whole Apple model is if you want a you know an app on the, the iPhone, it's got to go through their hands. So you can't get it. You know, obviously unless you jailbreak. But there's no way to get the app other than passing through Apple, and they're going to clip the ticket every time. So. Windows Phone Seven's the same though, isn't it? To be fair, it's yep, not just true. Apple. So yep. it's really those two market. They've locked down their marketplaces to have. And in fairness of Apple, I think that's to have quality and, and make sure there is no viruses because yep. there is the flip side where the perception may not be reality is that the Android market space is a bit of the wild, wild west. Well, I think wasn't there a, a, a news out maybe a week or two ago where Android um, on their market actually had an app that was supposedly from a, a particular vendor, but it was actually like a phishing one. And they ended up having to pull it down. And they're saying, well, that's why you know it's so good that Apple and, and Windows have got quite heavily regimented uh, marketplaces because it stops that sort of stuff getting through. Yeah. You know, they're protecting their users. So I can sort of understand it from both sides of um, both sides of the argument. All right. My other piece of news now, I think you guys might find this a bit of a giggle, actually. So .com, our friendly local German billionaire dude that's got himself into a bit of trouble. Um, he's, so he's come out and he's actually said, look, we've done, been doing a bit of work getting ready for the court case. Um all the government officials' names that you sort of were talking to us about, guess what? A good portion of them were mega upload users. <laughs> That's genius. So he's actually gone through and he's tracked down and he's actually found that they were huge users of the mega upload service. Crazy. Research there, bro. Research. I'm wondering if there's going to be a conflict of interest when they try and prosecute this guy. Oh, they're, they're muddying the waters now, aren't they? It's getting a bit tricky. It was. It was. I don't know if you guys saw the the Campbell live interview of um, Kevin.com, but it was fascinating to to listen to. He was saying, "Well, really, the um, you know the film studios and the people that generate this content have created this problem because they'll release something in the states. And, you know, we're in a we're in a um, a world now where it's very easy to get content wherever. Why are they not you know releasing the latest movie? Why is it not going worldwide straight away?" They're saying that you know what people are doing with the mega or were doing with the mega upload um, system was because they were filling a void that um, the studios didn't want to fill themselves. And I've seen an infographic that says that the music industry and the record industry, uh, music record, the same industry, um, but the movie industry are all making more money than they did the year previous. Yep, they are. They are increasing and increasing and increasing. So the question is, is piracy hurting? Mm, Well, in theory, it's not. Okay, maybe their profit margins would be a lot higher, perhaps, in theory, but it's certainly not hurting the bottom line. Yeah, look, it's one of those ones where... I think you can find stats to prove what you said and stats to prove what the movie industry said. And I, I can see where .com's coming from because when we regionalise DVDs and now Blu-rays with zoning and stuff like that, I mean, really that was just to try and you know rip the consumers off because you know you couldn't move countries and, th- well, regions without having to buy the same movie that you already paid for again because until DVD region-free players came out. And then I remember the movie industry wanted to ban those and that they lost that battle because of consumer choice. So... I can see where he's coming from, but I also think some money needs to go back to the artist that has invested their time, career, because as a developer, it'd be just like everyone ripping off your code. So there needs to be something going back, but I can see he's saying we need to be more on demand. It should be 24 hours released worldwide, not three or four months, because I remember being being in the States, seeing a movie over there at a movie theater, 
and it coming out four months later here. And I'm like, yeah, that's not not the best. Yeah. Okay. I did find my piece of news in the end. Oh, good. Um, it's uh, one that I cottoned onto this morning. Actually, it was quite interesting. So Ford have their uh, different computerized systems for the cars, right? Yep. So there's the uh, MyTouch and the Microsoft Sync tool, uh, Ford Sync and that sort of stuff. So they're releasing a patch for MyTouch in the States. My Ford, sorry, My Ford Touch. And this is into some of the edges, explorers, um, all, all sorts of uh, the, the cars that are over there. It's not quite a lot of them. Uh, so they have updated the software, and so they're sending out updates to everybody. So you'd expect, you know, how yep. would you do an update? They're putting it in a USB stick. Now, dealers are getting a little bit nervous about this update because apparently it requires the user to plug the USB key into the car and then have the car running for an hour Wow! while it does the update. The car has to be running for an hour. That's a long install. So if you turn the car off halfway through, you pretty much brick your car. Yeah, you may well brick the car. But so they're, they're sort of saying, you know, we, we're starting to get people coming in saying, really? I mean, can you do this for us? So they're actually lining up these cars in the yard, turning them on, plugging in the USB stick and letting them go for an hour. Carbon footprint, anyone? I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> isn't that crazy? So, I, yeah, there's a bit of, bit of concern about that one. They think it's going to create a little bit of a, little bit of a stir. But, hey, you know, at the end of the day, this is what's starting to happen with cars, you know. We're actually starting to get to a point where cars are actually packing some fairly serious computer equipment in them. I don't know about you guys, but I, that sort of technology, I'm excited and I'm also scared about it. You know, uh, the drivers in New Zealand especially probably don't need any more distractions than we already have, and you, you're giving them this whole, um, you know, suite of different tools in your in your vehicles. So yeah, I, is, is there any lockdowns that, you you know, your handbrake's got to be up or the car can't be moving? or No, you can actually go for a drive. Now, the catch is... Halfway through, I'm scared now. Halfway through, your air conditioning and your radio will lock in their current positions. So, <laughs> oh, so picture this: you'll be driving down the road. You're like, "Yeah, I've got an hour to kill. I'm going for a drive." Mighty Cyrus hits the radio, and you're thinking, "I have to change this." Sorry, you can't. It's updating the radio software at that time. You're stuck with Mighty Cyrus. So. Yeah, apparently it's completely safe to drive. They're not sort of doing updates to that. So it doesn't upgrade like the firmware of your brakes. Sorry. And that's an interesting thing. I, I caught, caught up with a um, an article the other day about hacking cars because cars have a computer system in them now. And some guys overseas did some tests. They um, got physical access to the car network. So this isn't a wireless hack at this stage, but physical access to the, the, the car um, through a their own homemade wireless device. And they drove this car around a track and had another car follow it and they were able to do things like disable the brakes. The wow. car couldn't actually physically brake with the foot pedal because the software was told not to engage the brakes. That's really scary. So and they're saying, look, this is fine because uh, generally you know, you don't have physical access to cars in a, in a drive-by sense, but you've got your car radio, you've got your sat-nav units. They're all connected to the same network and they're receiving signals from an external source. So they're now actually looking at this going, could we hack a car radio remotely or even a sat-nav unit remotely to try and gain access to uh, the car network? That's a Imagine if hack a sat-nav, turn them off right off the Hubbard Bridge. Or wrap them around the wrong way. Or well, no, they, they can hack sat-navs now. They're doing it to do uh, time shift because a lot of places use satellite navigation to get uh, correct time. They use the GPS system to grab the time. What you can do is you can go to a building that's using that you can send a fake GPS time signature to it and get the building to open up the front doors. 
Ah, like, uh, no, that was a security. Was it Pack and Save in Hamilton or something where it opened? On a, <laughs> That's right. And everyone just helped themselves. <laughs> Fantastic. It was all open. I suppose the nice thing, let's say, if you had the ability with the cars is, is thinking, you know, if you ever watch the, the Police 10 7 shows or any of the American ones, is, you know, you could, if the, the police had some way of sending some sort of signal that could, you know, switch the ignition off, you'd, you'd pretty much stop every fatal car crash. Ever. Yeah, but have you have you seen the cars that the cops are pulling over? Yeah, that's a problem. It's going to be a, a long, long that's, lead time. That's right. Until that becomes right. cheap enough. Excellent. Good times. Cool. All right. Now we're going to bring back an old favourite that we haven't done for a while. Um, app of the week. Yes. Now, Nate, over to you. Oh, pick on the new guy. Again. Yeah. Well, we thought we'd get you ready because I'm giving time skip to get organised. Yeah, that's right. Fair I enough. Fair enough. My my favourite app would have to be someone one that someone else suggested to me. It's an app on um, Android with on my Samsung Galaxy S2. Uh, it's called NZ Road Info. Now it's been developed, and I don't think it's an official NZTA um, app. Well, I know it's not. It uh, screen scrapes as us all good developers like to do. Um, the cameras up and down all the motorways, and this is a fantastic app, especially if you're about to leave. You can easily cycle through all the um, the cameras, like I'm looking at Spaghetti Junction, Market Road, Green Lane. Um, just in my area, so I can quickly see, uh, you know, an image of exactly what the traffic's doing. So, you know, on on the way, I can say, oh well, it's going to take me half an hour, or I'm going to be there in three hours. So, um, and it's got all all sorts of other information about highway and signs and traffic and all sorts of stuff, which they're pulling from the um, the website, and it's fantastic because it just pulls instead of having to sit there and load through all the different screens. Really basic app, but I think very very powerful. Nice. Mine is uh, Nokia Drive. Now the Lumia series have all come out. I've actually. The podcast picked up an 800 um, last week to have a test drive of, but I've actually been playing with the uh, Nokia Drive app, which is a navigation, 3D navigation tool. I have to say that Nokia have absolutely nailed this piece of technology. Isn't it awesome? It is the most amazing thing. I, I use it, I've used it quite a few times to get to places I literally did have no idea how to get to, and it got me there on the dot. And on two occasions, I thought, hang on, this has got me to the wrong location and had to do a double back, but actually one of them was I just wasn't reading the re- the sign of the street properly, so I was a bit of a muppet. And the second one, it actually dropped me to the location where the driveway should have been on this property, but the owner decided to put the driveway at a different location, which wasn't on the map. So the Nokia took That's me to, cool. to, to the correct location. It was just the owner had done something different. So, yeah, the Nokia Drive app, and now it's, it's exclusively on the Lumia series devices, um, I did hear that you could possibly sideload it. It's a tricky thing to do. But to be honest, what, what I've been seeing with the Lumias is that once you t- start them up, you get into the Nokia ecosystem with your Lumia or your Nokia account, and the whole thing just flies. It just It's just beautiful. So if you're looking for a mobile device with great navigation, definitely look at the Lumia series because the Nokia Drive app just kicks. To me, it's as good as TomTom. I think it's better than TomTom, Big call. personally. Whoa. Be cool. Yeah. Um, so mine's a bit more of a traditional one. Um, I'm a. I've become a bit of a Kindle fanboy. Um, I don't. I'm. I kind of put my hand up and admit that. And I love my Fire. Um, and one of the things I've enjoyed is the bookstore, the Kindle bookstore. Now they've just released the Amazon Kindle app for Windows Phone, the updated version, but they've also released it for Windows 8. Yes, Windows 8 already, and it's in the store in the consumer preview, and. For both platforms, they follow the same UI, the same layout and everything, and it is just a pleasure to use. It is different to the um, way it's done on iOS. So the iOS, you've got the 
the where you drag the pages across on the um, Windows one at the moment. It's a it's a sort of a you stroke the bottom right hand corner and the page flicks across for you. It's quite quite a, it's different, but it's nice. It's really really nice. And on the Windows Phone device, you've again you've got the Metro interface and everything goes through. So if you are an Amazon Kindle user, there are no excuses now why you can't have it on a Windows a Mac or iOS device or Android devices now. Um, it's across all the platforms. And like I said, it's free for download on the Windows 8 platform at the moment. I have to say Amazon's my new favorite content provider. It is. It's stunning. I know they've been around forever, but I've only just cottoned on. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I've seen with uh, you know the major hardware vendors is they'll come out with you know these amazing devices, but they just don't have any of the content to back it up. And you're looking, you know, Amazon's got just a ridiculous amount of, of content on everything. So you know, it just makes sense that they'll bring out something like the Kindle and it will work. Like I, I too, I'm a massive fan of the Kindle. I've got the the 3G model, and I like the fact. Thinking about it from a completely non-technical point of view, I can take it to whatever country. Doesn't matter. Download a book and it's there. I don't yep. have to worry about roaming or sim, or, you know, or making sure I've got credit. It's just they've Amazon thought, what's the simplest way to get content to the Kindle, and they've gone with it. And it's fantastic. And it works like a champ. And you know what else? It's WF friendly. Do you know what that is? It's wife friendly. You can give it to her and it will work. And it will work. You can just go, here you go. Read away. Exactly. It just works. Wife friendly. Anyway, that's the show, everyone. Uh, we've managed to consume 45 minutes of your time. Hopefully you enjoyed episode 61. And I will. Uh, we will all be back next week and we'll have Nate around sometime soon. Sweet. Thanks, guys. So if you want to get hold of us, we're on the NZ Tech Podcast website. So it's nztechpodcast.com. You can get us at Twitter at NZ Tech Podcast and also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash NZ Tech Podcast. Um, my Twitter handle is at UrbanKiwiNZ and Brad's. Uh, at Brad Bohr. And mine's nice and original. It's just at Nate. Nice. I don't know how you managed to get I had such your a score there. Amazing. That's Can't tell you. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. Excellent. Excellent. Don't tell us then. All right. Join us next week. Uh, thanks for listening in. See you guys. See ya.